0: Greetings. How are you doing on this fine October day? I am so glad to be back with you. And the reason I say it that way is we are recording this right before I go on a week's vacation, but it will air right after I come back. So I'm going to pretend like I've just had an amazing vacation because I'm sure that I will. (laughs) So today I have a wonderful guest, Mark Hirschberg. He's going to tell you about himself in just a moment. We're going to talk about how to manage people you don't manage. And this was such a resonant topic for me, when I saw this come in my email because I have so many clients who have matrixed responsibilities. So they manage a project and they have this team that they have to manage in the scope of that project, but those people don't report to them otherwise. And then I have other clients who are trying to get into managerial jobs and looking for ways to grow that skill so that they can be qualified for a management job. And for all of those reasons, Mark seemed like the ideal candidate for the podcast. So Mark, thank you so much for being on the podcast today.
1: Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Why don't you start by telling the folks your story?
1: I began my career back in the 90s when I came out of MIT. It was a dot-com era. So I started as a software developer. And I realized early on I wanted to become a CTO, a chief technology officer. But to get that role, to really qualify for it, it wasn't just about being a good software developer. It involved a whole bunch of other skills no one had taught me. Leadership, communication, team building, negotiation, hiring people. I never had any of that in school. And it wasn't something I was learning on the job. There was no formal training for that. They were teaching me new technical skills, but not these other skills. So I had to go out and develop them in myself. I realized as I was doing this, that these are skills not just for the most senior people in the company, but all of us. All of us benefit by having these skills from our first day on the job, even as the most junior person. And around this time, MIT had gotten similar feedback. Companies were saying, these are the skills we want to find, not just in your students, like not even just in recent graduates, but in general, but we can't find people with these skills. So I got involved with MIT and we wound up putting together a training program referred to as the Career Success Accelerator where we've taught these skills. And I've now been teaching there for the past 20 years and have turned it into a book. So I have these parallel careers where I spend time as a CTO building organizations and products, but also this second career where I've been teaching these professional skills now at MIT and elsewhere for two decades.
0: I love that story for a couple of reasons. First of all, knowing as many IT folks as I've known working with them over the years, that really does seem to be a particularly weak area for people to get the leadership skills and the managerial skills that they need. And I think the world is waking up to the fact that it is no longer enough to know how to program in certain languages to be an IT leader that it takes so much more. So I I love that. And I was also reminded of my journey through higher education. I moved from a coordinator position into a director position at Columbus State University, was never given or required, certainly not, but never even offered any kind of leadership classes, programs, anything. And I was very young at the time, didn't really have the sense, and plus it was back way before the internet, to find those things or maybe even really know that I didn't that I didn't have them already that I needed a skill set I just knew I was floundering and I remember my first performance evaluation I was kind of raked over the coals about my leadership skills and it made me kind of mad because I felt like I had been put into a situation to fail or, or at least not put in a position to succeed have you seen that kind of thing out in the corporate world a lot
1: Time and time again, you have described one of the most common patterns. If you think about your career, you begin in some entry-level position. And it doesn't matter what your field is, HR, IT, finance, marketing, you start by being told you're the junior person, who's a little bit of work you are responsible for. You say, Okay, well, you know, this is presumably what I know from college. And you start to do it. And you learn a little more about that discipline. And you start to get better at it. They say, okay, we're going to give you more responsibility. You start to get promoted. But during this entire path, you're still an individual contributor. You work on bigger software projects in my world. If you're in finance, you might work on bigger types of reports or systems. But you're always doing it as an individual contributor. The moment you get that first promotion to management, that is the toughest step in anyone's career. Because at this point, you are no longer simply doing a bigger type of problem compared to what you've done in the past. You are now facing different types of problems because now you might still be doing your domain work. There might still be some technical work. I don't mean software or IT. I mean, technical to your discipline. But now you are managing people. Now you have to hire. Now you have to deal with conflicts between team members. You have to lead. You have to communicate. You probably are now more interactive with other groups who aren't solving the same, again, technical problems within your discipline, but cross-disciplinary problems that you might have been involved with a little, but not to this level. So all of a sudden, in this step, where you go from individual contributor to first-level manager, you have a quantum shift in terms of the nature of the work, and there is little or no preparation given to you.
0: I see that over and over again with companies, and I applaud the ones who who get this and who actually provide the work. And in many cases, it's this sort of emerging leader or, you know, high-performance employees kind of situation. And oftentimes, if you want to get into management, you will be offered opportunities or you will try to get opportunities where you can manage people in a matrix environment. So they're not your direct reports, but you're getting that experience. And at the same time, the company is getting a sense of your leadership skills. So what do you see as being particularly important in a person's career path as far as how they navigate that matrix responsibility, that early career management experience where they don't really manage the people? How do, how, what's so important about that phase?
1: everyone hates matrix reporting, but <laughs> it is the right answer in certain circumstances. And it, it's really a tool like any other. The key thing to remember, when I teach leadership to companies, to my students, as I talked about in the book, I'm explicitly talking about leadership, which I distinguish from management in the book. But as I say at the end, Good leaders manage, good managers lead. So in practice, we're going to blur the line. But we're going to look specifically at leadership. Most people think of leadership as positional. I am in this senior position. You report to me so I can tell you what to do. And that's how people look at leadership. The right way to look at leadership is not from positional authority, but from influence. And certainly, even though I have positional authority as a CTO, in today's world where software engineers can find a job within three hours, I can't just say, do it because I say so. The engineers won't like that. Like, I'm going to literally walk across the street, get another job, probably for more pay. They have to be engaged. They have to be excited. They have to feel they are contributing. They have to feel we're doing what they believe is right so they don't feel like they're wasting their time. I have to say, okay here's the direction we should go in. And this is why. Even if it's, I know technically this isn't as elegant, but we have this partnership with this other company. And because of that, we have to do things this way. And it's fair for the business. I I'm saying, oh, Okay, but I, I get why. So I have to convince them. I have to influence them and not simply command them. And so this is the essence of leadership in companies. Good news is when you understand leadership that way, It means you don't have to wait until you have that title and that authority. You can start leading from day one. You might be just out of college, but you can lead. And so when you are in this matrix organization, or anytime you're really engaging with people where you don't have authority over them, once you understand influential leadership, that is where you can now manage others, lead others, even without that formal positional authority.
0: And it's so interesting how the generations have changed that that concept because I don't know where you are in the, in the generations, but I'm a baby boomer. I'm at the end of the baby boomers, and we would never question a positional authority. We would, you know, someone who has a higher title than us, we respect them. It's just in our DNA. And the millennials and the Gen Zs that are coming up now, they could care less about what your job title is. They care about what you bring to the table and can they believe believe in you and follow you and, and be motivated by you. I think that's such an interesting change and it requires a change in how people manage.
1: Exactly. And I think you're, you're bringing up a good point. I happen to be on the tail end of gen X, but we do see these, these shifts in attitude and we've seen them over time. It's not clear whether future generations will continue in this modern thinking, or if if you buy into the Strauss-Howe intergenerational theory, if we're going to shift back. But I think for now, to your point, we also just have flatter hierarchies. Mm-hmm. If you think about the corporations in the 1960s, as the baby boomers were coming of age, they were very hierarchical and structured. And one thing that happened is during the 80s and 90s, there were lots of layoffs. There was a reduction in middle management. And that even changed the nature of how companies operated from you can just put things through the hierarchy and the hierarchy and the system managed it to now there's a lot more initiative that all of us need to take. And so we want some guidance, but not too much control because we know we have to be self-directed on our teams.
0: And you talked about showing that leadership right out of college. I'm, I'm going to argue that you show it way before then. And I think about when I worked at the last university, we had over 30 student workers and they, they all worked a very, a small number of hours. For most cases, it was five hours a week. And the difference in How those students showed up for this job. Some of them saw it as, I have to do this because it was actually part of their scholarship requirements. And they did the minimum. They were disengaged no matter what we did. They just saw it as kind of a burden. And then we had these other students who looked for ways to rise to the top. Even though they were only there five hours a week, they had ideas they brought to us. They wanted to make changes. They saw cool things that we could do. And I remember Saying to one student in particular, you will be successful wherever you go, because of what I've what I've seen in you in this job. You're going to rise to the top no matter what situation you get put in. And I think we start to see that from people very early on, at least in my experience. Have you seen that?
1: Absolutely. Even teenagers, even people before college. But the point is when you go to your job, whether you are 14, Or 18 or 23, you don't have to wait for permission to lead. You don't have to wait for your boss to say, now you can contribute here. Anyone can and should stand up and say, I have an idea. I want to take some initiative and not command other people to do things because you don't have the authority, but to use your position, use your influential leadership to say, I think we should do this and here is why.
0: Well, let's drill down on that influential leadership a little bit, Mark, if we can. So what are some of those specific skill sets that you see people needing? So let's just use the example of someone who has a matrixed authority. They're project managers, let's say, and they have this group of 20 employees who don't report to them, but they are part of this team that they're leading. What are some of those specific skill sets that that leader needs to bring to the table.
1: On the leadership side, here's how you can think about most people think leadership in an atomic way. There are people who are leaders, people who are not, Or that person possesses, possesses leadership. Well, think for a moment and you can pause the podcast if you want to do it now, or you can just make a note to do it later and think the leaders you admire at your work or in general, what are the things that you like about these leaders? come up with a list, come up with the attributes, come up with the qualities, come up with the activities that you admire in these leaders. Once you create that list, and I've seen lists that can get scores of items on them. Once you have that list, think about these skills in yourself. And so I'll use the analogy of basketball. We think about, oh, I want to get better at basketball. Well, I know I, I have to play. Playing will help me improve, but I'm by myself. I don't have anyone to play with. I guess I can't get better at basketball. Well, wait a second. I might not be able to play a game, but I can work on my shooting. I can work on my dribbling. Maybe I can work on rebounding, especially if I have just one other person. You know, We can take turns shooting and rebounding. So you can work on the components of basketball, even if you're not playing games. Once you have this list of attributes of leadership, the things that you admire, you can work on these individual attributes, even if you don't have a chance this moment to stand up and be a leader. So that's one way you can begin to develop. Then you can also work on your managerial skills. And again, I distinguish them in the book because I really want to focus on them specifically. But in the real world, they blur. And we can look at different practical ways to manage people we can talk about, as we go forward, both the people side of management and the process side of management.
0: I love that suggestion. And, And I think it's so important for people to look at the list they've created and figure out how do I execute on these things so that we're not trying to be a clone of someone else that we admire or approach it from a vantage point that doesn't serve us, but how does this quality that I love in this boss that I have, how would that look in me? How can I adapt that concept in a way that is authentic to me?
1: My first boss, he did a great job of using the whiteboard. This is a very minor (laughs) technique I put under communication. He was a good communicator. One of the ways he did that, he was great at the whiteboard. Most people, when they go to the whiteboard, they just grab a marker and they start scribbling and you wind up with a mess. He clearly thought out ahead of time, what am I going to put on the whiteboard? If, for example, he's going to draw the current state of the system and then the new state, he might put one on the left and one on the right. So instead of just starring in the middle, he would start on the left-hand side to leave room on the right. Or he might draw the current system in one color and then grab a different marker. Who thinks about grabbing a different marker mid-use of the whiteboard? So if (laughs) you consciously think of it. And he'll put the changes to the system, the additions or something else in a different color. And I was like, wow, there's something. that he's really good at the whiteboard. I didn't know why at first. So I started to watch him. And what is it he's doing that I like? And I said, oh, he is using different pens. He is laying things out on the whiteboard. And I became more conscious of it. And if I'm going to do a pros and cons list, I might do one in green and one in red. And I just by being aware and identifying and then doing a little practice myself was able to incorporate that. Now, this is a very tiny piece. I'm not saying, oh, use the whiteboard better and you're magically a better (laughs) leader or manager, but it illustrates how we can identify something we like, focus on to better understand it, and then incorporate that into ourselves.
0: And I think that also helps from looking at people we admire whether it's our direct boss or our boss's boss's boss as unicorns as being these special little snowflakes that we could never be if we can break it down and see what are the pieces of their leadership style that i am admiring and how would that look on me if we can if we can chunk it down it be, it seems much more doable much more approachable don't you think
1: It does. And sometimes you can even explicitly ask your boss, how do you do this? How do you think of that? And your boss might be able to tell you. Other times, he or she may not. I'm thinking of one example. When I was consulting at Harvard Business School, one of the deans, we were in a meeting, there were some politics, and the dean came in to back our side. And I remember one of my coworkers said, it was like watching a Jedi master. We were in the room, the other side was pressing to do something. And he as a Dean would kind of just wave his hand and say, yeah, you don't actually need to do that. And then they who were screaming about doing it would suddenly say, oh, okay, we don't need to do this. He said, okay, this wasn't just, he was saying like, I'm the Dean, you have to do it. He seemed to convince them. It wasn't purely his authority. And we asked him afterwards, what exactly was it? He wasn't certain. He gave some vague answer, but we discussed it among ourselves and had a little deeper reflection, even if he couldn't provide the answers. In our debrief, we began to understand it a little more deeply. And this is a very important point. The way we have traditionally learned is through what we're doing right now is through this broadcast model. You have a teacher in front of the classroom. You have an author of a book. You have a podcast you're listening to, an article you're reading, where some person who's an expert says, here's what to do. Okay, great. I will take that knowledge. And that works for many situations. That works if you want to learn accounting, if you want to learn new software, if you want to learn some information, history because you are memorizing facts and processes and policies. But when it comes to these skills, it is not so simple. There is no set of facts that makes you a good leader. There is no three-step process to be a fantastic communicator in all situations. These skills that we're talking about, leadership and management, are subtle. And in every situation where they say, do X, you can find a different situation where you should do not X, Mm -hmm. something completely different. So the best way to learn these skills is through peer learning. What you want to do is create a group. You can do it within your company or if your company is not going to support this, create a local meetup group or just find other people and say, we together want to develop these skills. Then what you can do, and I have a free download on my website that explains how to do this. You take some content. You can use... Okay, you can use a book like mine and you can chop it up. I show you how and you read this section and then discuss it. If you don't want to use my book, use a different book. Use an article. Use a great podcast like this one and listen to this podcast each week or two and say, we're going to listen to it and then discuss the ideas in it. Because it is in this discussion, that is where the real learning takes place. As we talk about, let's say, leadership, and someone says, "You know, I have this challenge right now I've got these people, they're not listening to me, there's someone else, there's some conflict, and someone else in the group can say, well, you know, I was in a similar situation, here's how I approached it. And in that discussion of why well, I might be able to apply some of that, other things, maybe it's not a fit, you're beginning to understand what you want to do in certain circumstances, why you might prefer certain approaches or others, it gives you a level of experience that is not quite as good as leading yourself, but since we can't lead each and every moment, this is the next best thing. This is almost like those practice games when you're playing sports. Okay, you're not on the field playing a real game, but that scrimmage game is pretty close to it. And that's what this group allows you to do. These discussions, those are like scrimmage games.
0: I think that's a great idea, Mark, and that's not an, an idea that I have heard before or thought of, but getting a group of people together that are all trying to get into those leadership ranks who desire that and figuring out how to situationally handle various things that are going to come up in the job. I remember when I was in grad school, almost everybody in grad school was a professional. They were working, and I certainly was one of those. But there were a few folks in there that were right out of undergrad, and we would have these case studies to do. And the experienced people would be talking about possibilities in terms of how they had handled a similar situation. We would be thinking through the the ambiguity of it. And the younger ones that had just got out of an undergrad asked what the right answer was. Every time. It was so fascinating. And they just, it took them so long to understand that there was no right answer. It was just a choice between Options and it's very situational, and there's a lot of variables, and they just wanted to look at it in black and white. And I think having a group like this really helps you to understand the ambiguity and navigate ambiguity.
1: Exactly. And this is why top business schools use case studies and teach this way. It's why we do it this way in the MIT class that I've been teaching. And here's the great thing you mentioned earlier, I believe, about. They send some high performers off to training. Companies tend to say, okay, you five, great, you're, you're the special people. So we're going to spend $10,000 sending you off to training. Unfortunately, we can only send five people. Just, it's, it's expensive. But if you create this type of peer learning group in your organization, the cost is little to none. It's either buy copies of books for people. $10,000, you can buy books for most of your <laughs> company, probably. Or you say, forget the books. We're going to listen to a free podcast. There is no cost. So you can create an arbitrary number of groups. You can get everyone in the company involved. And so now you can create... I recommend doing groups of around six to eight people. In the document, I explained how you can do it in larger groups, you be do groups of 20, groups of 80 even. There are different ways to do it. So now imagine if everyone at your company is engaged doing this. Everyone develops better skills. Everyone becomes a better leader, a better communicator, better at team building. That's going to help the entire company. So whether you're doing it for the whole company or your team, you're going to gain an improvement. It helps people build their internal networks. You're going to interact with other people. You're going to form relationships which will be better for the company that you know have stronger internal relationships. You're also going to create better employee engagement, especially these days during the great resignation where two out of every three people are looking for a new job to say, we're not just about giving you a paycheck. We are helping you develop and grow. That's some of what people are looking for. And so this is going to help your retention and engagement. And it's going to give you a common language Because when everyone reads that same section of the book or listens to the same podcast, ideas and models you now have common across the organization, and you can communicate faster by saying, oh, it's just like that example that we all learned last month, and everyone gets exactly what you mean. So there are lots of benefits to doing this.
0: And I secretly hope that the informal network group that you're talking about outperforms the hypos that went off to training and the, the institution, the organization realizes that they want to do things differently because of that. I think that would be a really, a really cool outcome of all of this.
1: I can pretty much guarantee it. <laughs> and, and here's why. I know I'm going out on a limb here and I, I don't have data. We haven't done this task. But Here's the other thing. When you go off to that two-day leadership seminar, okay, great. Really, really helpful. And then what happens? You start to forget these things. right? It starts to fade. You get busy. And it's not always clear when to apply it. right? It's not like, oh, I learned this on Friday, and next Tuesday is exactly when I apply it. Maybe there are some techniques, great agenda for your meeting. Okay, great. I'll do that for my next meeting. But other things about when you have employee conflict, here's how to handle it. That's not something that's going to be necessarily regular. It might not hit you for another six weeks or six months. You probably forgot it. But when you have these groups that are meeting for even 30, 45 minutes every other week, you are helping to keep these concepts top of mind. You're keeping it fresh in their heads so they are more likely to apply it. More likely to identify situations where it's needed, and therefore they are going to develop the skills. If you think about wanting to get more fit, do you go to an intensive boot camp for two days where they say, "Okay, you know, drop and give me twenty, and we're going to run ten miles"? Say, well, I'm dead for two days, I'm great. Or do you say I'm going to go to the gym twice a week for the next six months? Which one gets you better results? It is slow and steady, and really, when you're changing how you think changing how you lead and manage, interact with others. It's no different than other muscle memory. You need to have that slow, regular improvement to really make it stick.
0: I love that, Mark, and and what I was thinking of as you were saying that because I am a master resume writer and I think about how things look on a client's marketing document, i.e., their resume. What a great achievement to be able to go into a company and create a grassroots effort like the one that you're mentioning. And, and and it may be it may seem overwhelming to think about the whole company, especially if you're at you know Accenture or someplace with tons of employees. But if you do something like that in your little corner of the company or your department, whatever that may look like, start small if that's what, you know, if it's the difference between large is too overwhelming to me and I won't do it at all. And small seems doable. So you make you make progress, you get traction on that. What a great achievement that is to put on your resume. So I think I think that's another way of looking at this. How will this be viewed by future employers? And the fact is it's going to be viewed very positively. Heck, they may want you to do it in their company as well.
1: Absolutely. And here's how you can make it really easy. The free download I mentioned the copyright on that is open. And I say, look, you can basically edit this however you want. You can cross out my name, stick your name on the top of it, and say to your company, look at this broken idea I had. <laughs> Take all the credit, look like the winner, and you're going to introduce this wonderful program with very little effort and be seen as a leader by upper management because you're introducing a program, seen as someone helping your peers, they're going to love you as well. And is a win all around.
0: Love it, love it, love it, and and we'll have that link in the show notes so that you can find that download. You've given the listeners a lot of tips, and and we've talked about managing, you know, people you do manage, and then managing people influentially. Do you have any additional tips that you can give the audience about how to manage people you don't manage? How to position yourself? as a leader in your organization?
1: It is always important to understand motivations of each individual person. There is no one size fits all. Everyone is here for a different reason. For some people, it's about the paycheck. For others, it might be about the nature of the work. And there's many reasons in between. So recognizing for each and each individual person, what is it that makes them show up to work? And of course, it's more than one thing. We all do like getting that paycheck, but recognizing what motivates them, what engages them, what do they hope to get? Because as you are working with these different people, especially when you can't command them, you have to align to their motivations and interests. And as you do so, that will make it easier to get them to go in the direction you want when you align it the direction they want.
0: Absolutely, and I—I I think I've told this story on the podcast before, but—but but two quick stories. So when I went to a new university, I asked everyone what what is rewarding to you? How do you like to be rewarded? And my secretary at the time said ice cream. <laughs> now, <laughs> would I have ever thought of that on my own? Absolutely not. And what was interesting about it was that as the secretary, she would be the one in charge of you know making those purchases and getting everything laid out. And and she was going to be doing it for herself, right? She had done something great. I said, hey, time for an ice cream party. And all the student workers, as I mentioned earlier, we had over 30. And all of them would be invited to this ice cream party in honor of her, whatever it was. So she had to do all the work. <laughs> she didn't care. She loved it. And she got the thing that was rewarding to her. And uh, uh, the opposite story was when I at the previous university I was at, we had to put in some long hours right before our career fair, and I had a secretary there, and it was a male, and we promptly sent him home at 5 o'clock because I was conscious of overtime. We weren't allowed to have any overtime and didn't want him to you know, be working off the clock or anything like that. And, and he, later on, he told me that that was offensive to him, that he wanted to be part of the team. He was willing to stay there as long as possible, and that he resented that I sent him home. Now, for a lot of people, they'd be like, hallelujah. I don't have to stay there till nine o'clock tonight. He was upset by that. Had I asked him and not made that assumption, I would have solved that problem. But it never occurred to me until he told me that. So asking people what, what motivates them is, you know, the easiest way to find out.
1: <laughs> Great examples. There's a book by Alfie Cohn called Punished by Rewards. <laughs> and if you want to get into this, it's a it's a book that really gets deep into this and recognizing if you are misaligned, you can do exactly what you did. You can actually disincentivize people when you're not aligned to their goals. I've seen this time and again, I've seen at companies where they say, Oh, we're going to offer a $500 referral bonus. And you're offering this to some people who are making $40,000 a year. Okay. Yeah. 500 is meaningful. Then they're offering it to engineers who are making $150,000 a year. Honestly, I don't think $500 is going to motivate that person. And most engineers I know aren't primarily money motivated. They certainly like money, they want to get more money, but they're not going to say, oh, well, I wasn't going to bring someone into the company, but for $500, oh, yeah, (laughs) let me pull my thinking cap and really get to work on this. And so the alignment doesn't always work. And I recognize. The, the countervailing force is you can't say, well, we're going to offer this much money for these people and this much for those. You have to be consistent with certain HR policies. Otherwise, you can get into big trouble. But you do need to recognize that a general reward program may be perceived differently by different people across the company.
0: I've known plenty of employees over the years that would rather have their toenails pulled out than to be recognized publicly for anything that they've done. And so, you—if you make the assumption that you know this person, you should nominate them for Employee of the Year or have them stand up in the monthly staff meeting or whatever the case may be—you may be doing them a grave disservice. And you just because it was—it would be good to you, and you think everybody else would like to be recognized. It's not the case.
1: Another great example.
0: Any other tips for the people, Mark? Before we close up here.
1: The other thing that most people get wrong is they don't think about corporate politics. In fact, many people say, look, I just don't want to deal with corporate politics.
0: Not Here's an option. <laughs> yeah, not
1: an option. Like saying, you know, I don't want to deal with US politics. It's such a mess. I don't want to deal with it. Well, you can choose not to vote, but that doesn't mean politics won't affect you. Guess what? People are getting elected, laws are being passed, and that is impacting things that you do. All you have done is abdicate your voice in that process. Corporate politics is the same way. Now, just as traditional politics, it can be good or bad. There are people who can make the world better, who can create positive change, and we do so through a political process. There are people who use it to enrich themselves and harm the public good. We see the same patterns in the office. There are people who say, I want to help the company move forward, help the team, help the organization, help our customers. There are people who say, yeah, I just want to get ahead for myself and doesn't matter if it's even worse for the company as long as I get that bonus or promotion. And so politics is a tool used by both types of people. We typically associate it with the latter. But once you understand how politics works, and once you begin to develop these tools, They are at your disposal to be more effective. And it turns out everyone, there is a political spectrum and everyone is on the spectrum. Some of us are more on one side or the other. Once you understand this, you can recognize where you are on the spectrum, where other people are, and then how to engage with different people across different parts of the spectrum to be more effective.
0: I'm reminded of the, what is it? The platinum rule. So the golden rule is treat others as you would want to be treated. And the the platinum rule is treat others the way that they want to be treated. So communicating with them in, in the way that they hear it, rewarding them in a way that is rewarding to them. It's such an important thing to get out of your own head as a leader and actually ask the questions and listen to the answers. Love it. Love it. Love it. All right. So Mark, how can the folks find you?
1: You can go to my website, thecareertoolkitbook.com. There you can learn more about the book. You can follow my social media links and that will take you to places where you can follow me on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. You can go to the app page and that will have links to the Android and iPhone stores where you can download the free app. That contains a lot of the great tips in the book. As we said earlier, you can't just learn this as a one-shot deal. So when you download the app, you just need to open it once a month so we know you're active. And it's going to pop up a tip each and every day as an alert. And then you just swipe it away. So you set the time when you want it to come up. That's going to help keep this content top of mind. You can get in touch with me, you can book me as a speaker for your organization or events. And then there's also the resources page. And the resources page lists some great books it lists other online resources I typically try to find free ones so you can go further on some of these topics and it has some free downloads including the guide to create this type of peer learning program at your organization all completely free all of this is on my website the careertoolkitbook.com
0: I love the app what a cool idea so these are leadership tips that they're getting every day is that what they the nature of them
1: it's across the 10 topics in my book okay so it includes leadership and management communications networking negotiations ethics career planning interviewing and working effectively and if you just say i just want to work on my leadership right now just you said to say i only want to see leadership tips and you can focus just on that another way you can use it is if for example you're about to go into a negotiation Well, open up the app and say, I'm going to quickly just flip through those tips and get that refresher because you're certainly not going to go and carry my book with you or (laughs) reread each chapter. You can just quickly flip through those tips and get that refresher shortly before you go into that negotiation. So there's different ways you can use the app.
0: So to be clear, audience, you do not take his book with you into the interview and flip through to the interviewing section and know how to answer the questions. We want you to do this work ahead of time. I love that. I love the idea of the app and all of the other things that you mentioned, Mark, and I greatly appreciate you being on the podcast today.
1: Thank you for having me. This has been wonderful.
0: Well, audience, go do all the things on Mark's website that he told you about, and uh, I'll see you next week. Take care.